Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, guys, welcome again to another Monday night on the Man Up God's Way podcast. My name is Jody Burkeen. I am the founder uh, of Man Up God's Way and your host tonight. And we're so excited that you are here uh, with us. Uh, if you get an opportunity, please share this with uh, everyone in your social media uh, queues, uh, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. We are streaming live on all of those right now and would love for you to share more of our podcast with your friends and family. Also, if you, do, you don't get a chance to watch all of it tonight, you can catch us tomorrow on all podcast formats, uh, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or even our own Podomatic. Uh, you can catch out the Man Up God's Way podcast and listen and listen to it uh, at your leisure. And uh, we just want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, we had over 100,000 downloads last year in 2022, and we're looking to triple that this year. We want to continue to grow um, for the kingdom, and it's all because of you guys, and we want to say thank you so much. Uh, as usual, tonight in my uh, in the in the podcast den, if you will, I have my producer, Mr. Fergoza. Fergoza, how you doing, brother? What it do, man? Doing glad, good, as glad, always. Good, yeah. man. I'm glad you're here. Heck yeah. Good. You have a good week? I did have a good week, man. Good. Yeah. Ups, down, strikes, gutters. Well, all the above. That's called, that's called life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's real good. <laughs> well, good, man. I'm glad to have you here again tonight. And uh, we've got a really great show. We're going to get started here in just a moment, but uh, we'll do a few little house housekeeping things here. Uh, for Goza, what do you got for us uh, this evening? So, as always, um, you know, we have our merch. That's how we pay for this. Uh, you know, we don't get paid to do this. We do this because we love it. Um, this show's uh, over a year old now. We started this last year. Yeah. Um, that's crazy that it we did crazy. it. You know, I even uh, I even stepped down um, a little bit from a position at work to take less time at work to take on more things like this, this and Amen. some other projects. But um, we love that you're here uh, to support this. We do have a merch store. We have coffee cups. We have um, books. Uh, your two books that you wrote, uh, Man Up. God's well, I always say man up man God's, God's way, but the book is just man up. I haven't read this one. I'm in the middle of this one right now. Uh, the pursuit um, of a godly life, living like Jesus matters. I have not. I'm going in reverse order. I'm going to Tarantino right. your books. Okay. I'm Tarantino. Okay, that's all right. Uh, you guys can get both of those. We do have the app back up and running. Yes. That's free now. Um, get involved. Message us here. Get on the uh, on the merch store. Buy some merch, support us. We appreciate it. We need it. And uh, yeah. That's uh, manupmerch.com. You can catch out, catch all of our good stuff. We've got cool shirts like this. I got really cool mugs like this and mm -hmm. uh, things that will uh, actually make you look good and feel good and help support our podcast. So, all right. Well, with that being said, we've got a great guest here tonight. I'm looking forward to getting to know and dive into some good stuff. Mr. Steve Lentz, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Jody. Thanks for having me tonight. Man, I'm so glad to have you. It's uh, it's an honor to get to meet you, and uh, I've been uh, researching you over the last few days just to see who I'm talking with, and uh, I, I can tell you that I'm excited because I've got a ton of questions uh, about 
um, what you do and why you do it and uh, how you can help uh, not only churches and pastors, but uh, other lay people out there uh, for the sake of the kingdom. So I'm excited. I'm glad to be here. Well, good, good. Well, why don't you start off and uh, you told me just a little bit before we got into the show um, how you'd come to know the Lord, but I like to I like to hear people's testimony because it kind of gives me an idea of, you know, what what you were. I like to see what I always call the Saul side and the Paul side of your testimony. What were you like before uh, you met Jesus? And you can start back as long as you want. We've got uh, as long as you can stay awake uh, on the podcast. So uh, we've got as much time. And uh, uh, just tell us tell us a little bit about your story. Well, again, uh, it's a privilege to be here. So thanks for inviting me, Jody. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just glad to know the Lord. Uh, I'm from an unchurched family. Okay. Uh, I was the first college graduate on either side of my family and the first professional, I think, anywhere in our family line. But, um, you know, grew up in Bowling Green, Ohio. That's what my sticker is here. I went to Bowling Green State University in Mid-American and, uh, uh, and graduated uh, and went to law school at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, I was too dumb to be a doctor, uh, so I thought I'd become a lawyer. Uh, and I went there with the distinct uh, goal of just to be a landed Virginia gentry and make a lot of money and, you know, uh, have a good life. Mm. Uh, but uh, I wasn't too far into it uh, before. I just realized things weren't what they look like. Uh, they, they just weren't what they were cracked up to be. And, right. Uh, um, you know, I, I I was looking around the other student body, and I studied really hard. I was really diligent, very average guy. Uh, I'm sure my IQ is as average as it can be, but uh, I just outworked everybody. And so I always did really well in school. But when I got to law school, uh, I was doing everything according to the rules, studying every case, uh, you know, briefing every case, going to every class. And there's this whole group of other folks who are just out partying and having a great time. And I was tutoring them. And when it came around to uh, the actual exam time, I got the C's and they got the A's. And I thought, well, I heck with this. You know, I'm going to go to the other <laughs> side. So second semester, I started hanging out with that group thinking, you know, they're having a lot more fun than I am. Meantime, back at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, my fiance at that time, uh, she was a year behind me, my, my now wife of 50 years, Kathy. Praise God. And, That's awesome. Uh, she had gotten saved. She met the Lord. Uh, yeah. and, uh, it was during the Jesus movement in uh, 1972. And uh, so she called me up one night and she said, you know, I, I have found Jesus. He's alive and you need him. Oh, <laughs> oh, amen. Amen. And that was that was the sum total of her theology at that time. Wow. And, and and again, coming from an unchurched background, you know, I was really was searching. I just didn't know where to look. And when she talked, it was like electricity was coming through the phone from Ohio. And uh, I said, well, what do I do? And she said, well, just get on your knees, pray and ask Jesus to show himself to you. And so I got on my knees and, and I, I said, I feel really stupid, but uh, <laughs> if, if you're really there, show yourself to me and I'll follow you. And so over the next couple of months, uh, it was just one thing after another that wouldn't have meant anything to anyone else. 
but because he's our personal savior, he knows exactly how to talk to us right. in our language, you know, and things began to line up for me. And uh, so then Kathy came to visit me in probably March of 72. Mm. Uh, and uh, I would take her to cocktail parties at night, show her off to all my friends. And during the daytime, we'd be walking around the campus and she'd be talking to me about Jesus. So finally, I said, you know, she looked at me, she said, do you know any other Christians? And I said, well, there's this one guy in my property class who talks like you talk. <laughs> so after the property class, I, I, I went to this guy and he was putting his books away. I said, hi, you know, and he said, hi. And I had a Jewish Afro at the time, you know, half glasses, smoked a pipe, had white bell-bottom jeans. Right. And two-tone shoes. And I'm looking at the guy and he's looking up at me like, you know, why are you talking to me? And I said, well, my fiance's in town and uh, uh, she wants me to introduce you to her because she has found Jesus and she talks like you talk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the guy shut his book and he invited us over to his place that night. And uh, uh and so I got my pipe out in his efficiency apartment. I said, do you mind if I smoke? And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, oh, so okay. <laughs> and and, and uh, so Kathy was very, very simple in her face. She just said, you know, I, I'm only two months old in the Lord. Uh, you know, my fiance has all these intellectual questions and I don't know how to answer them. I wonder if you can answer his questions. And uh, so he looked at me with just a wonderful word from the Lord. And he said, you know, Steve, the Bible says our carnal mind is at war with God and you will never know God with your carnal mind. So if you have any other, other questions other than intellectual questions, I'd be glad to answer them. And I looked at him and I thought, well, what other kind of questions are there? <laughs> and he says, do you have any? So no. And he says, well, would you like to uh, give your life to Jesus right now? And I, I said, yeah. And so I got on my knees and prayed and um, gave my life to the Lord that night, and wow. um, uh, the heritage, the the uh, trajectory of my entire family line changed that night. And, wow! Uh, and so that was uh, you know 50 years ago, 1972, and uh, uh, you know we we ended up you know getting married, and then that man who led me to the Lord, who was a law student. He dropped out after second year because we had a Bible study going on at William and Mary. And there's so many people coming that that he decided he would just, you know, try to minister those people full time. So that little Bible study turned into a Friday night meeting, which turned into a church. And so we ended wow. up birthing a church. And uh, uh, I, I did finish law school because uh, I, I wanted to, you know, finish what I started. But really, I thought all along that I would be a pastor, and, um, uh, and that was really where my heart was. So uh, my my introduction to the law uh, world, right? I was a brand new Christian, and I was learning how to hear the voice of the Lord, and um, and so I was working full time, going to school full time. So I'd go to school until six at night. Then I worked for the National Park Service as a ranger from six at night until two in the morning. And wow. uh, so mm -hmm. when it came time to study for the bar exam, 
uh, you know, I, I called my dad and I said, dad, you know, do you think maybe you could underwrite us for three months so I can take these courses? And dad, who was not saved at the time, later on, you know, I was able to, to see him come to the Lord, but he didn't have any nurturing uh, history. And he mm. said, it's rude of you to ask. You're just being a freeloader and, and uh, <laughs> not going to help you, you know. But, uh, and, but what I realized was God was teaching me that he was my source. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so all my friends were spending hundreds of hours in study groups getting ready for, for the bar exam. Uh, and I understand Virginia is one of the hardest ones in the country. Uh, and I had no study time because I, I would go to school and then I would I'd have to do, you know, uh, I was in a patrol car and I would pull up uh, in my Smokey the Bear outfit uh, during my lunch hour at <laughs> night and uh, go to the bar review course. And uh, all through the three-month course uh, in Virginia, uh, you, you, you have a multi-state test, which is day one. Everybody has that. But day two, at that time, we had 12 essay questions. And those essay questions could be selected from 60 different subjects. Right. And so the bar exam was covering all 60. And I would go into the bar exam uh, and uh, 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 the course and uh, literally didn't understand a word that they were saying. Mm. And I'm not kidding you. The voice that now I know very well is the Holy Spirit for me kept whispering in my ear, don't worry, it's not on the test. And and so, you know, there's this, this scripture, you know, we do what we can. It's like, uh, you know, forever, we'll, we'll always fall short. I think God expects us to do what we can, but it'll never be enough. And he always picks up the gap so that we're, we're sure he always gets the glory, you know. Mm. So I was working four jobs to support. By then I had two children and and another one on the way. And, um, you know, I was I was doing what I could. And so, um, you know, week after week, month after month, I would sit in these classes and it was it was like chicken scratching, like, you know, Snoopy. Right. Uh, I, I didn't understand what, what they were saying. And I kept getting this prompting in my heart. Don't worry, it's not on the test. Mm. So I finally went into the bar to take the test. I knew 11 subjects well enough to be tested on on the essay questions. We knew there were going to be 12. And the 12th was always going to be federal income tax. And I never understood that anyway. Right. And so uh, we went to the John Marshall Hotel in Richmond, Virginia. At that time, it was in the Grand Ballroom. And there were probably, well, there were hundreds of us taking the test at the same time. Uh, and um, uh, you know, I, I opened up the test on that essay test. And 11 out of 11 questions were on that test. And the 12th one, the federal income tax question could be answered that that year if you filled out your taxes early, which is the only time in my life I've ever done that. And so I was the second person done in the room of hundreds of students, which <laughs> when I finished, I, I, I thought either this is really the Lord or I'm really screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and I went down into the lobby. I was exhausted. I'd been studying, kids crawling all over me, doing my four jobs, trying to go to school. And I opened up my little Gideon Bible 
and the way the pagination opened, uh, it opened to when uh, John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist had just baptized Jesus and he'd just come out of the water. Mm. And on the top of the page, it said, thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, um, at that awesome. point that I had passed the bar, you know. Wow. So in my legal career, and I, 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 many of my classmates who had been in those study groups and studied hundreds of hours did not pass. They couldn't pass it the first time, second time, or third time. Wow. And when it passed, uh, it was a shock because I'd lost all my friends when I met the Lord. Yeah. It could have been something because I wore this big red button that said, Jesus changed my life. You know, I wore <laughs> yeah. that to all my classes. I don't know. Maybe that was why nobody wanted to hang around with me. But yeah, you had a target but, on your back. Yeah, yeah but it yeah. was a testimony. And, and ever since then, Jody, uh, the Lord gave me, uh, you know, a life scripture, which was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right. And all of your needs will be added unto you. So my my job description from the time I got saved in 1972 was to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so whether I've been, I, I am a credentialed pastor and I tell people that the only reason I'm, I've, I've got credentialed is because I wasn't sure I could get into heaven as a lawyer. <laughs> so I better go ahead and get ordained. But, but cancel uh, each other out. Yeah. You know, I, I pastored twice full time in my career. Uh, and uh, also, you know, in my law career, to me, wow. it's marketplace ministry. There's no difference. It's seamless to me. It's you're on assignment for the Lord as long as you're walking this earth. And wherever he points you, you have one assignment. Uh, your kingdom, your will. Wow. As long Amen. as that's what we're doing, I think that we are living a life that, that has purpose. Amen. What a great testimony. So the Jesus movement, do you have you seen the new movie that's coming out, The Jesus Revolution? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, no. so it's about that. It's about Greg Laurie, who was a part of uh, yeah. Chuck Smith and um, Lonnie. Um, Oh gosh, the the he was the hippie pastor that started that. So Chuck Smith had the church right. in California, and that whole movement started Harvest. from that. Har it was yeah, Harvest Church. I attended uh, their church while I coached at Cal. Yeah, Baptist. That, that's yeah. Uh, that's Greg Laurie's church. Yeah. But um, so Man Up is promoting that movie right now um through through the movie studios, and so it's a great segue into just say go see that movie because it's a great movie and it's about. Uh, the 1969, you know, early 60s, uh, or late 60s, early 70s, and how that movement of all the hippies just came to know the Lord. And so that's cool that you're, you're literally on the other side of uh, of California there, and you come to know the Lord that way. That's great. There's a sovereign move of God across our country, and I believe we're, we're going to experience that again. I think we're in that right now. I right. think that there is a great hunger uh, for the for the current generation and and the millennials and the Xers are all trying to figure things out. You know what's the right. meaning of life? And mm -hmm. I think it's an opportunity for all of us to really introduce people to Jesus is real. He's alive, and you need him. Real yeah. simple message. <laughs> yes, you're exactly right. That is so good. We were so talking good. about that last week. We were joking. Uh, yeah. That's the only way you can be cool now. Because yeah, you can't know Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah, you can't get, you know, can't go dye your hair. Everybody's got dyed hair. You right. can't go get piercings or tattoos. Everybody's got that. Yeah. The only way to be cool is to be straight edge and, and go no to church. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Amen. Amen. That's the way it's going. Yeah. So, so you've been married 50 years and yeah. how many kids do you have? Uh, four married kids, seven grandkids. 
Yeah. Oh, awesome. And you're in your prime right now. That's awesome. Seven <laughs> grandkids. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Loving it. Love it. So after college, uh, you obviously were married and you had your kids, you said during all four of them or. Uh, yeah, I had all four of them when I was in law school and, okay. uh, uh, it, it, without insurance. We were sending $15 to drawer H of Williamsburg Community Hospital forever. I, I, I'm pretty sure I paid them off now. I'm not sure, but yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> they, we, they accepted payments at the time. And we don't well. know what we could do. But uh, yeah, uh, all the kids love the Lord. Uh, I, I founded uh, Waynesburg Christian Academy, which is a wonderful uh, uh, Christian school. It goes all the way through grade 12. And and uh, yeah, just uh, was happy to be alive, happy to finally have the answer to life and uh, uh, to know him, you know, so, and it's wow. been an adventure ever since. And so, so we pastored for, uh, you know, uh, we ended up, I ended up shutting down the law practice after two years and pastored full-time in Williamsburg, but uh, one of the reasons I'm such a good church lawyer now is that our particular church, we were in that movement. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of snap, crackle, and pop going on, but not a lot of structure. Right. And so eventually, you know, that particular church that I was a part of kind of fell apart because the leadership kind of went off, you know, took a right turn, and there was really no way to, there wasn't the accountability, the structure, and the the government that should be there so right you know in, in my church law practice uh you know i think we represent probably over four thousand churches right now in all 50 states and uh you know having been a pastor having experienced disappointment you know in 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 the church world uh and and uh seeing kind of the underbelly the dark side uh, you know, and understanding what can go wrong and, and, you know, trying to be a good steward of when God is moving, you know, uh, in a church, how do we keep, uh, you know, the people safe, uh, the freedom for the leadership to be led by the Holy Spirit, but still have meaningful accountability. Right. Uh, that's, that's where my whole world is when I get into the church matrix. Wow. That's awesome. That is great. I, so, so let's jump into that vein. So you've got a couple of books out and, um, your, your, what's your main focus right now? Where are you, are you retired? Are you still helping churches out or where? Yeah, no, there's no retirement. I mean, okay. it's interesting. Uh, when I was president of Middle East television over in Israel, uh, you know, I've uh, learned a lot of wonderful, uh, truths about, you know, the Bible and about, uh, uh, the Jewish faith and about the Hebrew language. Right. And one of the traditions that they have, you know, in Israel among the Jewish people is that if there isn't a word for it in Hebrew, it doesn't exist. Okay. And there is no word for retirement in Hebrew. Okay. You know, and so, you know, I don't believe God's ever called us to retire. Amen. Uh, uh, and, you know, in my particular case, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm a complex business lawyer. Okay. Subset of that is nonprofits, subset of that is churches. Right. So I get a chance to take all of the business acumen and bring it into the church world, hopefully to equip churches for the day that we live in and uh, give them the, the, the structure, the protection, uh, all of the rights and privileges that, that our wonderful country still gives us. Right. 
to allow uh you know pastors and churches to take the ground that god's given them in the day we live in so amen amen uh, one of the books that i wrote which is called bulletproof right that was uh a book that that before i uh opened up my law practice my current one uh, uh previously i was a uh, head of ad sales worldwide for the family channel and uh, so I, I pastored i practiced law and then i got recruited into cable television when it was a brand new industry wow. uh, and uh people didn't think anybody would pay for television so they thought it was uh never going to make it uh and uh i actually ended up being head of ad sales worldwide for a g-rated family wholesome wholesome family programming network which uh, you know, uh, was on the bottom end of the feeding trough for uh, <laughs> excitement, you know, in the advertising world. Right. In spite of that, uh, you know, I ran their offices in New York and Chicago, Detroit, LA, London, and Hong Kong, and uh, brought in all the money that basically <laughs> Rupert Murdoch eventually bought us for $1.8 billion uh, in the Wow. And so uh, I, I, I gained my business understanding uh, and my, my marketing and people understanding during that assignment because I had sales forces in every major city in the nation plus the countries. And to understand people, understand what motivates them, understand how to invest in their success. And, and, um, and so, you know, we were able to create the valuation. After we sold the Family Channel, uh, Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN, asked me to run Middle East Television, which is the largest superstation in the Middle East. Wow. It covered all of Israel in the entire Arab world. 200 million households and um and so they came and said you know would you do for middle east television what we just did for the family channel make it commercially viable so that when pat robertson retires uh it, it can stand on its own and i thought well that sounds exciting i'll get a chance to go to the holy land and you know kick around the middle east but what i didn't realize is that uh, yes, I got a chance to do marketing in Tel Aviv, which was a wonderful New York-like uh, uh, vibe. Right. I got to do the politics in Jerusalem, which was wonderfully spiritual. But our operations were in South Lebanon in a war zone. Right. And so 72, uh, I had 72 employees and 32 were Shiite Muslim guards with AK-47s, guns, dogs, grenades, bandoleros. So it made HR moments really interesting because if you're going to let somebody go, you had to disarm them first. And <laughs> and we didn't talk about terminating anybody because it meant a different yeah. thing to that staff. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, and, so, and so the book, the book Bulletproof is really a, a very spiritual man's leadership book. Because right. it's talking about business protection strategies from a war zone. And what I learned doing business in the war zone uh, in South Lebanon was, uh, you know, invaluable as far as learning how to do life. Because uh, one of the things I realized, in, in, and I talk about it in Bulletproof, is that the first reality is if you're going to do anything important, you have stepped onto a battlefield. 
So the minute you name the name of Jesus as a man, especially as a man, and if you're going to lead your family, if you're going to lead your business, if you're going to be a politician and lead your, your, your city or your state or your country, uh, you have just stepped onto a, a battlefield. Right. And, you know, people act differently in a battlefield. So uh, my first day on the job, and, and I talk about this in Bulletproof, uh, you know, uh, they I had to go across the checkpoints up in northern Israel because the station was in South Lebanon in a war zone. And I had to leave my passport with the Israelis. I went through two checkpoints. And then my head of news, who was also my uh, bodyguard, picked me up and uh, put a flak jacket on me. This is my first day at work. And, uh, and then he walked me over to our, our Land Rover, which had 3,000 pounds of lead in it because it was an armored car with bullet holes already in it because we got it secondhand from the French embassy. There was so much lead in the doors, I couldn't even hardly open them. I get oh. in the car, and there's an AK-47 between us. And then I put my seatbelt on, and he pops the seatbelt, and he says, we don't wear seatbelts here in case we're attacked. Now, would you like to go, you know, meet, meet General Lahad? And I said, no, I want to go home. You know, uh, this isn't what I had in mind. And, right. Uh, and I thought, well, well, I'm the president of Middle East Television. He said, General Lahad, we're here as his guest. You have no visa. You're here uh, under his protection. The station is actually on his compound, and it's, and it's, protocol for the president of Middle East Television to pay their respects to the general. So I said, okay, first day on the job. So as we drive to the compound, uh, Salam explains to me that he's going to shake with his left hand uh, because he's getting over an assassination attempt. And so <laughs> the, the, the assassin shot him point blank uh, three times and he put his right hand up and it went out of his elbow and so his hand is still in a sling and he'll be you know shaking the left hand I, and I'm thinking I really want to go home now this is this is you know <laughs> so we go to General Lahad's house and the general meets me and and he's over all the South Lebanese army and we're in his living room and floor to ceiling picture windows and they're vibrating because of the shelling that's going off in the hills around us. Wow. And you gotta understand, I'm a military guy. I mean, I, you know, I I, I couldn't <laughs> go in the military because I had a bum knee, I have a knee replacement now. And uh, so this is not my world. And so the general comes in and I'm wondering, you know, what is he gonna ask me? Uh, you know, uh, I, I've got questions, security right. of our people, you know, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the sector? We've got assets here. I've got all of our people had death sentences on their heads from Iran, Tehran, yes. because they worked for us and they were seen as Israeli collaborators. I said, you know, I said, all these questions going on. So, so the general sits down and he leans over in his thick Lebanese accent and he says, Dave, tell me about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, and I'm thinking, what? You know? And so what transpired was, and this is one of the leadership points in the book, is that leadership is always the problem. Leadership is always the answer. Right. That our leader, President Clinton at that time, was fiddling around in the White House 
Right. And his actions in the White House had ripple effects that actually were destabilizing a, an area of the world because people couldn't figure out whether he was not going to engage because he'd be blamed for somehow, uh, you know, trying to take the heat off himself or he would engage and then he'd be blamed for having wrong motives. And so the general didn't know how to read our, our leaders. Wow. Later on that night, we went back across the border and I met with the generals for the Northern Command coming off maneuvers in Israel, in the dense forests of Northern Israel. We met in this coolest place. It was in the basement of a barn of a farm, no ambient light, stone, uh, a farmhouse stone well in the middle of uh, of the uh, of the compound a stone barn and in the basement of the barn there was a four-star restaurant low ceilings wine wow. cast uh, uh candles white tablecloths the general comes the general's coming off maneuvers i have to meet with him because i have to figure out a protocol to get our people across the border if there's a meltdown how do i get them out right. of lebanon into israel quickly uh, because you know uh, and that actually happened about uh, 16 months later so i had to meet with these guys and so they come off the field they've got their field uniforms on their epaulets they got their hats and they got their attaches they're so cool and we're sitting down and I'm sitting next to the general and he turns over to me. And the first question he asks me is, tell me about Monica Lewis. Oh, no. Same question <laughs> for the same reason. They didn't right. know what our program was going to do. <sighs> and, 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 you know, and my point is, first of all, when you're in a war zone, you act differently, you dress differently. You're more alert, you're more engaged, but but also uh, our consequences, we don't act in a vacuum. Our consequences, our, our actions have consequences. Right. And as men, we've got to realize that we can set things in motion that change generations oh, for good I... or for bad. Mm. And so, you know, the president, because of his actions, had set things in motion that, that were terrible and were destabilizing for an entire area. Uh, oh, and that's the decision I made in 1972. And then my decision to follow the Lord, no matter what, for the rest of my life, changed the trajectory of my entire lineage. Uh, my, my dad got saved. My mom got saved. My brother got saved. His wife got saved. His, wow. his daughter, my niece got saved. All my children are saved. Uh, all my grandchildren are saved. Uh, that was in a completely new branch that was launched by that one decision. So, you know, leadership is always the problem. Leadership's always the answer. And I, I learned that when I was overseas. That is great. That is what a great insight that you had the ability to be able to see and not only see for yourself, but hear from other people what you know, like of all the things the United States is known for, all of a sudden here you are having to deal with some dude in the office's sin that's just as blatant as I'll get out. And uh, I tell my church and my kids all the time, you have the choice whether to sin or not, but you don't have a choice for the consequences. That's right. That's Those right. consequences will and can most likely um, 
ruin a part of your life, at least that chapter, you know, it just, it just depends on, you know, the severity of the sin to begin with. And as leaders, we have to, you know, I, I pray often as a pastor and as a, as a leader in general, that I finish well, that's, that's where I want to finish. Well, I want to be able to look back on my life and say, I did the best I could. I lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I didn't, I, I, I left a legacy that was worthy of leaving and not, you know, something like Monica Lewinsky, like, yeah. uh, and you see that a lot with pastors who forget to have accountability, to forget to, you know, to, to lead in a way that they are shepherding the flock that God has given them. And, uh, it's a scary place in the world right now when we see a lot of these pastors, you know, and leaders not doing, uh, what they should. And so, so the bulletproof book, um, I love, I love how that, that, that sounds like, you know, we've got to, we have to be, we have to be prepared for war and act, you know, like I was in the military and we spent majority of my time training for, as if there was ever going to be a war. You know, mm-hmm. so you had to be prepared. You had to, and this was right before uh, Desert Storm. This was in 89 and 90. And uh, every day we trained and we trained and we trained and we trained. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's the reason why we did that. I think Christians miss out on that point as well is that we are in a spiritual war. And so you need to be preparing and battling and training and uh, doing all this. So when the battle does come, because it is coming at your doorstep, that you're prepared for it. So in your, in your, um, uh, as a lawyer, when you're, and even as a pastor, um, what are things that you've put in your life and what do you suggest that churches and pastors put in their life to keep them, you know, um, from harm's way, so to speak, like what's some, what's some thought processes or, you know, ideologies that you have to go along with that? Well, that's a great, that's a great thought. You know, I, as you were talking about your military training and everything, you know, um, in the Bulletproof book, we talk about the armor of God. Mm. And, and you know, the Bible talks about one of the, one of the uh, pieces of equipment is the breastplate. Right. And I think modern equivalent of that is the flak jacket. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the flak jacket's there to protect you from, protect your heart. Right. Uh, you can get wounded in a lot of places and still live. Right. Yeah. Uh, you take a hit to the heart and it's all over with. Yeah. You know, the Bible says, you know, to, to you know, to uh, be diligent to protect our heart mm-hmm. because out of flow the issues of life. Right. You know, and I think, I think uh, there's a, there's a biblical illiteracy. Amen. That, with uh in the day and age that we live in uh you know i i i was talking to a young pastor uh several months ago who has has you know some serious gifts uh and he was he was struggling with you know the uh lgbtq world and you know people that he knew that he loved and and everything, and and when I told them that part of what I do with churches is I work with their statement of faith, because mm-hmm. we we still have First Amendment religious protection in America, right? Uh, that you can discriminate 
for religious reasons if it's part of your you know uh sincerely held religious belief right in the old days you used to be able to say i believe i'm a christian i'm a church i believe the bible and that was good enough right. but now you really need to be able to say this is a sincerely held belief that we have and so you can see it in our statement of faith so we talk about marriage you know being between one man and one woman we talk right. about the definition between a man and a woman right you exactly know, I create two distinct genders a man and a woman uh, we talk about, uh, you know, the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sexual orientation issues about identifying and all of that scripturally. And, and the pastor pushed back on that. And he said, well, you know, uh, why do you say that? I said, well, because I believe the Bible. And he says, well, you know, what about this? What about that? I said, I said, brother, let me ask you a question you're a pastor and you are trying to disciple people if you don't believe the bible what are you discipling them to amen <laughs> i mean what you know and and this goes to a lot of heart issues like for instance in the moral feelings which I, i'm just dealing i dealt with one today i got a call from a church and you know the pastoral couple had you know uh, uh you know some uh moral issues and had to step down and I'm working with their succession and everything. And and I, I I talked to a young man once and he was he was leaving his wife and uh you know he was uh abandoning her and he was going to divorce her and go on and start another life. And he said to me, he says, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God will forgive me. Mm. You know, and and uh uh, when I talk about, you know, biblical illiter illiteracy, uh, a lot of people will throw out the example of David and say, right. well, look at David. I mean, he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, and God forgave him, and he was man after God's own heart. And, and what they forget is, yes, but that sin of his released a, uh, a consequences that never left his lineage. Right you know, uh, suffering and adultery and sexual problems throughout his whole lineage. Uh, and probably the best example I can give of that is, is uh, there was a time when I, on assignment, was asked to go meet with uh, David Berkowitz, who's the son of Sam. Oh, wow. And I went to meet with him in Sullivan State uh, Prison in upstate New York. <clears throat> and uh, I'd been sent up there by a Christian group because they had heard that he was a believer and and uh you know they they wanted to verify it <laughs> so they flew me up there in a little private uh you know single engine plane and and uh i went through you know, a zillion checkpoints to meet with him and everything and you know as i was saying i had a one camera shoot uh, and uh, we were setting up, you know, in the little cafeteria with the little jelly bean chairs. It looked like we were in a grade school or something. And uh, as I was setting up the shoot, the guard asked me, she said, you know, are you comfortable sitting this close to David, to, to Mr. Berkowitz? And I looked at her. I said, ma'am, I said, I don't know, Mr. Berkowitz. Are you comfortable with me sitting this close to him? <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and about that time, he walked in. And he, by this time, of course, he was a middle-aged man. And he had his green uh, jumpsuit on. And, and came over and gave me a big hug. And, and we sat down. And, 
and so you know i started uh by by talking to him uh about his faith and i asked him the diagnostic questions from e you know if, uh, you know, if you died today and, right. and you saw Jesus and he asked you, why should I let you in here? What would you say to him? And he said, I would say, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace, by your grace. And it's only by your blood that, that I have any right to even be talking to you. It was mm -hmm. so precious. He was so humble, you know. And and, uh, and I asked him, uh, I, uh, you know, I said, well, David, you know, uh, if somebody's watching this 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 uh, interview, and uh, they think they've gone too far, uh, you know what what would you say to them? Uh, and and uh, uh, he said, oh, he said, Steve, he said, you know, uh, as long as there's breath, there's hope, um, uh, because he they called him Berserkowitz because he he was so crazy right. at 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 Attica. Even the guards were afraid of him. And then they transferred him to Sullivan State Prison. And so he was, they called him Berserkowitz. He was so crazy. <clears throat> and uh, I said, well, David, I said, you know, there are people who, um, you know, uh, would watch this and wonder, how can you have hope? And, and, uh, uh, and he finished the sentence because I'm serving three consecutive life sentences and I will never see the outside of this prison. Mm. I said, that's right. I said, how could someone like you have hope? And he said, oh, Steve, Jesus is my hope. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And the reality as I walked away from that prison was that man sinned, he was forgiven, but the consequences of his sin still had to be played out right. Mm -hmm. right and it was sobering reality that we as men and as leaders need to understand is that sure god will forgive us he's a good god right but what you have released through your actions might be something you can never get back again Mm. uh even in the middle of god's mercy and his forgiveness right yeah. and uh uh you know so it was a it was a real example to me of that of that sobering thought that our our actions have consequences. If we if we sin, God's there to forgive us. But if we knowingly sin, thinking, well, God will forgive me because I believe in grace and look right. at this life. You don't understand the Bible at that point. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a really great story. Oh my! I can't believe you got the. Eat, like they yeah. called you to meet with him holy cow that's it that's amazing it was quite an experience a life-changing experience for me he had more joy and more peace sitting in that prison than many of my asseted clients have with every toy that you can imagine right yeah. so i do um i do an outreach we have an outpost we call it the man of god's way outpost in haiti where we train 40 pastors on how to reach the men of uh of the community because uh there it's just it's just uh fatherlessness is off off the charts 95 percent like uh, the children are fatherless and the men aren't doing anything and so uh, i was telling somebody not too long ago <clears throat> i go twice a year and I stay in contact with them throughout the year, uh, multiple times uh, a month. And uh, they have more joy. Those who worship God, those who know God, those who are going to church, they have more joy 
than all the Americans that I know that have everything. And these Haitians have nothing. They are worshiping in a concrete building with no lights, with no windows, um, with no air conditioning, um, on some of the most beautiful, pristine, you know, places of the island, like God's there. And you can just see there, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, that's where the Western church has really gotten out of whack is because we think we're blessed with all the stuff that he gives us when sometimes, man, that's, that's baggage that you didn't necessarily need. Um, And when you have nothing but total abandonment of everything and you can see God and you can worship God, that changes your life. Like that's, that's true worship when you can worship when you have nothing. And um, I see the exact same thing, what, what you're talking about. That's, that's good stuff. Yeah. Amen. Good. So, I'm a pastor and, uh, uh, let's, let's jump into some, you know, some things that are going on in societal, um, you know, with the wokeness and, uh, all of this kind of stuff. And as a pastor who is preaching, um, biblical truths, you know, man and woman is marriage, um, teach abstinence. Um, we teach, you know, men as, 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 men to be the godly men that God has called them to be, to be uh, the head of the household and for what, for them to submit to Jesus Christ as their wife submits to them. And so we teach these biblical truths. We teach that, you know, there are um, things that are sins, um, which a lot of churches, unfortunately, aren't teaching anymore. Um, we stand on the word of God when it comes to, um, sexual immorality, whether that's homosexuality or fornication, we stand for, um, you know, life at the conception of, of, uh, the embryo and, uh, all of these things. And so, um, I preach it from the pulpit. Um, I'd speak on it on our podcast. I write about it. I blog about it. I post on our social media at, at what so far right now we're still pretty secure in uh, the ability to be able to speak like that. Do you foresee um, any laws being changed? Do you foresee any major left turn that's going to get us in trouble? And how do we, as pastors who are preaching and standing on the word of God, protect ourselves? Well, that's a that's a great great question. <clears throat> Probably another session, but <laughs> let, let me top line the short version. How's that? <laughs> let me top line it. Okay. So, uh, you know, if if you think of the the political world, the religious political world being concentric circles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like like a like a target, and so the the very center of the target is the church, right. Okay, the next circle would be maybe Christian school under the church. Uh, the next circle being ministries. The next circle being, um, you know, uh, Christian businesses. And then the, the outside circle being just Christians. Okay. okay. <clears throat> the, the most secure place uh, continues to be in the middle of the bullseye, which is the church. Uh, because of the first amendment of the constitution we have freedom of religion in this country and so uh you know uh, a church that can can establish and demonstrate their sincerely held religious beliefs uh 
uh, can continue to to preach, uh, you know, uh, according to their theology, uh, and really, really any 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 synagogue, temple, uh, church has the, the right under that 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 freedom of religion. Right. But uh, again, now it's you have to be a lot more intentional about it. So uh, again, one of the things that I do when I go to work with the churches is I work with, uh, I go into their bylaws and make sure their bylaws are accurate. Uh, they haven't borrowed them from somebody else and they don't, they, they don't work. Right. Uh, uh, but also then I want to make sure their statement of faith is updated uh, to answer, uh, you know, social issues. Uh, and we don't just concentrate on marriage and LGBTQ issues. We put in Galatians 5, adultery, right. fornication, lasciviousness, right. exactly. wrath, sedition, strife, heresy, drunkenness, murder. We don't believe in any of that. you know. Right. <laughs> but the significance of that is now you can hire somebody or not hire them based on your sincerely held religious belief. You Got can uh, have somebody be in a volunteer position or or refuse to have them in, a, in that position based on your sincerely held religious belief. So instead of you facing Title VII moments, uh, you know, uh, you know, for for letting someone go, you are discriminating, but you're discriminating for religious purpose, which is under the First Amendment of the Constitution. So the church, if they're intentional, and that's why they need people like me and and. Uh, maybe there's a handful of us in America who really know anything about corporate law and church together. Right. Uh, but the important thing is to make sure that, that you have solidly updated everything uh, so that you can stand on that. Uh, once you have your statement of faith integrated into your, into your uh, bylaws, <clears throat> then when you have a employment application you say you know have you read our statement of faith and you agree to abide by it mm -hmm. so if somebody comes out and says on staff by the way you know i'm i'm living with somebody else's wife well based on galatians 5 for religious reasons you can fire them right yeah. uh you know if somebody says you know i've decided that i'm going to have you know uh, same-sex relationship for religious reasons you can let them go it's a very important distinctor and, and a privilege that churches still have. Mm. Um, churches don't have to file annual 990s right. uh, with the IRS. They're tax exempt by virtue of the First Amendment Constitution. Everybody else on, the, on, that, on that target board has to file an annual report with the IRS if they want to be tax exempt. So next level that, that includes nonprofits correct nonprofits correct okay all nonprofits right. right so the next circle christian schools if the christian school is under the church then they're automatically tax exempt and there should be linkage in the bylaws to make sure that that the board of that christian school can't go renegade right that the board is appointed by the by the church got it and they're under their statement of faith and if, and if the Christian school is part of the church, they don't have to file a 990. If it's a standalone, then they have to have their own reporting and they still, but they still have the First Amendment, uh, you know, protection. Uh, Faith-based humanitarian uh, outreaches like, uh, you know, our, our dream centers. I've, I've formed several dream centers throughout the country. 
uh, and you know they can be faith based. Right. Uh, and they can again discriminate based on their religious beliefs, but it has to be intentional. It has to be in the documents. You can't fiddle around. You can't wing it in this area anymore, like you right. used to be able to. You know uh, that next level out when you get out to ministries. Uh, ministries are not automatically tax exempt. They have to file a form 1023. Right. And again, they better have that statement of faith button down uh, to be able to demonstrate who they are in every in everyone. And that's still a solid area. Now are these sorry to interrupt, are these separate uh ministries from the church? Um, or are these like your men's ministry? Just kind of quantify that a little bit. Yeah, I would say like a missions, like a missions or like, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, let's let's say you're not under the church. You just you, you're a missionary group. OK, uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, you you want to form a missions uh, organization or a church outreach group or a, that would be uh, like man of god's way yeah we're that's a, why i was asking the ministry yeah we're but, a 501c ministry that's not under the church that's right that's right so your example exactly exactly that okay. um that next level out though is is christian businesses and that's the Hobby Lobby case, which, right. you know, again, we just don't have time to go into it, but the idea being there that, uh, you know, they challenge that they, they don't want to have to pay for abortion in healthcare. And, and uh, it, it took a million dollars for them to fight and win the case. Mm -hmm. And not every Christian business has the, the resources to be able right. to do that. <clears throat> What's happening out there, but in, in the bigger picture is that as far as the safety net, uh, I think eventually uh, the attack on churches, Christian schools, ministries will be if you say any behavior is wrong, like you just said, Pastor Jody, you know, you preach abstinence, you're saying sex outside of marriage is wrong or same-sex marriage is wrong. If you say any behavior is wrong, then you are participating in hate speech. And anybody who's participating in hate speech cannot be tax exempt. Right. So I think that's where it's going to end up. It, right. You know, it won't be uh, soldiers uh, showing up at your door. Uh, I think what it'll be is a reclassification of the fact that any behavior that someone says is wrong based on their religious belief is hate speech. Right. Uh, and uh, and then it will affect the tax exemption, which, you know, uh, for a ministry like yours, it might be a big deal, might not be a big deal. Right. If you're a mega church and you've got 19 campuses and you've got, you know, 20 or $30 million worth of assets, right. and now you have to pay tax on all of those. Huge problem. Yeah. It's a collapse of that entire enterprise. Right. Which is not going to stop the gospel. We just go back to the book of Acts and go to house church. We go to houses, yeah. yeah. But but yeah. It, it definitely is a recalibration of our Christianity that we have been, you know, uh, uh, enjoying, you know, for 200 years here in America. Right. 
Well, that's why we need to encourage our church members. If you're a pastor out there right now, you need to encourage your church members to join, um, you know, the run for office, uh, get on school boards to get on, um, you know, boards that will help, um, you know, promote a, a, a biblical moral uh, society. We need more Christians to to run for Senate and Congress and um, we just need more people that will do that. So we don't have that issue, uh, in the, in the near future by any means, cause it's, it's coming quick. I mean, it's, it's amazing how fast, um, everybody got offended and how, you know, it used to be, you could say just about anything and nobody got like when I was growing up, man, they, like, <laughs> I was just talking to somebody the other day and uh, Steve, you'll, you'll, you'll get this because, um, we used to watch mash and Archie Bunker and uh, good times. Yeah. Like those shows today would never make it on TV at all. <laughs> those shows would never make it because they were so just um, not politically correct, if you will. Absolutely. So you're right. But, you're right. But yeah, it's a, yeah. So but we just live in a, you know, interesting time. I just think, the good news is we still have all of our religious protections in America. Right. Uh, but we are definitely being probed. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, for instance, the, you know, there's a big case in, I think it was in Philadelphia, where there was a um, adoption agency, it was a Christian adoption agency. And because they refused to send children to same-sex families, because they were christian adoption agency right. i think it was the city of philadelphia they they uh you know they they were penalizing them they were fining them right. they were doing all kinds of stuff and then went all the way to the supreme court and and uh you know alliance defending freedom which i have a very good uh, relationship with, with them um you know defended that case and 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 won uh, but uh that was a definite pro to say right. well you know, you can't, you can't do that. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, again, you know, we have to understand we are in a battle. We've walked onto a battlefield. Someone once said, I didn't, I didn't, you know, uh, I'm borrowing the phrase from an unknown author, but he said, you know, if you're taking flack, you must be over the target. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? right. So we're That's getting fine. shot at. Uh, it's probably because we're where we're supposed to be, but right. don't be surprised. But, uh, you know, uh, that's where as men, if we go back to our audience tonight, we have to have our own walk with God. Amen. We cannot rely on all of our buddies, all of our external stimulation, all of our external affirmations, uh, 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 the crowd mentality, all those different things to get our signals. I mean, we have got to be uh, clear on, uh, you know, the, our personal relationship with Jesus. I know him. I know his voice. I know what his will is. I know what the Bible says. And this is how I'm going to live my life. Uh, uh, and without that, I think that we're not really going to be worth very much. We're on the battlefield and we've left half the armor in the closet. Right. Oh, 2015, I, I do a lot of, I used to prior to COVID, I used to do anywhere from 20 to 25 conferences, um, a year, men's conferences and retreats. And, um, 2015 
for some reason, I started the year off, you know, kind of taking a poll. And I'd spent the last five years, you know, or uh, three or four years just, you know, hitting a few churches and talking to them and just different denominations, just trying to get the, you know, man up God's way is really about trying to get men, number one, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. So they know that they know that they know that they're saved. Like, once you know that, okay, now let's work in, you now have the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's work on reading your Bible every day. Let's work on praying every day. Let's work on having a repentant lifestyle. And that's going to have a better relationship with your wife. So if you're married, you know, relationship with God is going to bring you closer to your wife. And if you're closer with your wife, you're going to be a better father. So those are the first three things that we try to get them to, to understand first and foremost, get your get your household in order. And then from there, now you can serve in the church. We've got too many churches that have men serving that do not have their household in order because one, they're biblically illiterate and they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they're not one flesh with their wife and they're not leading their kids in a godly manner, but yet they're leading a church because they just happen to be managers or business owners or financially savvy, you know, and the next right. thing you, you throw them into church, but yet they can't even walk into their home own home and have things squared away. And then the fifth area or the fourth area we always talk about is work. You know, a lot of guys walk into church on Sunday, raising holy hands and then go to work on Monday, raising holy hell. And they're not, they're not any semblance of any, godly man whatsoever and they just have this hypocrisy that's given to the rest of the world who claims to be christians and then the sixth area is accountability you know do you have somebody in your life poking you in the proverbial chest making sure that you're reading your bible making sure that you're loving your wife as christ loved the church making sure that you're you know being uh, the godly father and serving all of those things that's what accountability really is and then discipleship like the the if if we're going to get saved okay let's get saved let's get in let's get in the game let's let's get our household in order let's serve in church let the let's step out into the world and be the light and the salt and now let's make disciples mm-hmm. and so that's what i teach uh, and just at, at every conference uh pretty simple nothing earth shattering uh it's just going back to the basics of what i think god is trying to tell us And so I did a poll in 2015, and I asked, I gave the example of uh, Paul, you know, Paul being one of the great disciple makers and church planners uh, of all time, if you will. And he always had somebody in his life, whether it was a Barnabas and Ananias, you know, discipling him and pouring into him and being a mentor, or he had a Timothy and a Titus and a John Mark who he was discipling with. No telling who else that he had, you know, that that's who we see in the Bible. And at no point in our lives as a Christian man should I ever not have somebody pouring into me or me pouring into somebody else. That's just what discipleship is. That's pure. That's pure discipleship. Right. So I started 2015 asking a question, how many Pauls do I have in the room? And I gave them that exact same story. I shared, you know, you should have it at Barnabas and Ananias and a Paul, uh, Timothy and a Titus and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm talking, I got pastors and elders and lay people. And I spoke to over 5,000 men in 2015. I had 189 guys raise their hand. That's you know, that's why the church is so messed up. Yeah. 189 guys that don't even understand the, the true meaning of discipleship. And, and, and this is why, you know, I love what you said a while ago. They're, they're prodding, they're, they're, they're poking just to see, uh one if we'll fight back i think that's you know they're the, the you know the world is always 
right. wanting to see if we're going to fight back and right. how far will are we willing to go to to protect and stand on the word of god right right now we don't have enough people in the church i mean you know if they came and bum rushed us you know like you said the gospel the gospel would would continue to go we would have to go underground to an extent because we don't have enough men and families that are grounded in the word of god that are ready to fight hell with a water pistol right. and we need we need more of those people that are are ready for that and so um i I love what you're trying to do and what you're not trying, but what you are doing with churches and, and gearing them up for, I believe that's going to be not only a spiritual battle, but it's going to be a legal battle. And are we prepared for it? 2016, when um, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win um, the presidency, like, you know, everybody thought she was going to win. I'd literally told my elders, we have an elder, we're elder led church. And so I told the elders, I was like, we've got to change our bylaws and I hate to even do this, but we got to change our statement of faith to put, because this was the gay, the gay marriage battle as well. Right. All of the, all of that stuff was going on. I was like, we, you know, we've got to, I even did a sermon to set precedents. Um, I placed, um, you know, the Genesis account of creation of man and woman and the, the ordination of marriage and uh, Ephesians five. And we had to, stipulate that in that so that way we had a precedence there because i think what we're going to see in the future is people poking and prodding the church just even coming in to to divide it based on whether it's transgenderism or gay marriage or the abortion you know these these three critical uh, issues that are happening in the world today and i think they're going to go into churches and they're going to start dividing the churches you see this in the methodist church right now uh they are they are, they basically split that in half. And so it's, yeah. it's getting ugly. So tell us a little bit about your other book, um, the business of the church. Well, you know, the, it, it's really a handbook and, okay. uh, it, it's, it, my publisher said it needed to be longer. And I said, <laughs> you don't understand my audience. This is for pastors. Uh, and, and I'm actually working with Dallas theological seminary and a few other seminaries to create a course called the business of church so the background wow. of that book is i have a friend who's a psychologist and he had his own practice and and he would work with burned out pastors as part of his ministry and and as part of their onboarding he would ask them to give them a questionnaire and he would ask them you know why did you ever get involved in the ministry to begin with and they would invariably say you know i want to preach the word and help people the problem is 85% of a pastor's real job is business. Right. And there's no, and, and, and most of our pastors coming out of traditional ecclesiastical training don't have any business uh, uh, training at all. And so what Eric explained to me was that uh, we're not wired to fail in our core responsibilities over and over again for any length of time without there being some serious uh, aberrations uh, happening in our world, whether it's, yeah. you know, sex, money, drugs, whatever, uh, to compensate because we're failing in our core responsibilities. So, um, you know, I, I wrote this handbook and I've read some of the comments. Some people say it's too concise because it's too short. <laughs> uh, and, and 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 my point is uh, 
again, you don't understand. I'm, I'm just trying to create a touch point right. for pastors to say, these are things you should pay attention to. Uh, and and uh, you don't have to do them. You just have to manage them. You need to pay attention. So the first thing I talk about is the importance of incorporating a church. Right. A lot of churches are not incorporated. And, uh, you know, uh, a, a group gets together, they start meeting, God starts blessing, people start coming, and, and they just meet. And, and you know, and some of them are either even generationally have been around for a long time, but never incorporated. <clears throat> the problem with that is that in an unincorporated church, the pastor and the elders uh, uh, are personally liable. Everything right. goes on jointly and severally, which means, you know, if something goes wrong, they don't have to say, well, I'm going to treat all the pastor and elders equally. They can pick and choose the most asseted one jointly yeah. and severally and just say, you're going to be liable. And, you know, and so it's a, it's a very um, uh, uh, huge exposure uh, for the pastor and the elders, first of all. And, uh, you know, some people, you know, uh, will say, as I work with churches around the country, I'm actually a general counsel for a 200 year old denomination. Wow. And uh, uh, most of their churches were not incorporated. And so as we began to educate them, you know, some of the old school folks who I respected wonderfully, they've given of their tithes and offerings for years to the movement. They said, well, we don't want the government involved in our business. Uh, and I would explain to him, you don't understand the government's already involved in your business. That's how that's where you get the designation unincorporated church. Right. You, you are you, your state code has placed a definition over you and 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 uh, uh, an accountability that, uh, for instance, in, in an unincorporated church, not only is everybody liable, but uh, you you're not in control that. Uh, the pastor can say, I want to build a building. The elders can say, we want to build a building. You can have a congregational vote. And everybody says, yes, we want to build a building. In most states, you still can't do it. You have to go to the circuit court and get a court order permitting you to do that. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you're an unincorporated church right. and they feel like you don't know what you're doing. Wow. Whereas if you incorporate the church, now you're under corporate law. You have a board of directors. Uh, you you have bylaws and you can do whatever your bylaws say you can do. Right. Uh, and and the state doesn't have a right to be able to come in and, and govern your affairs. So, uh, you know, for succession planning, uh, you know, uh, again, we talk about the importance of not borrowing somebody else's documents. Right. That, you know, a lot of people have what I call the cut and paste mentality. And what they have isn't wrong. It just may not be right. Right, right. And, and so, yes, you have an entity, but you don't know what you got because you borrowed it from from Charlie down the road, and right. and uh, it was it was a different protocol. And and the importance of that is when you have an important firefight, you have an, a decision that needs to be made, and somebody in the church says, "Well, this isn't a valid decision." Uh, because you're not following your bylaws right if you don't know what's in them uh then uh you can say no no i'm 
you know, I, I'm the pastor and we're, we're the pastor and elders. We make the decision. The bylaws say, no, you get to make these 10 decisions, but these 10 decisions you have to come to the congregation on. Right. You know, and so how do you govern the church? It needs to, your, your bylaws need to be reflecting who you are. And so mm, that's good. Um, that's more of, of the business of church. Uh, how to pick a nonprofit board. Right. You know, the, the, again, uh, the state statutes place a responsibility on the board, a fiduciary responsibility. Uh, and, and so, you know, you don't pick people to be on the board who are just your friends, right? Or people that, uh, you know, are, are your fishing buddies or your golf buddies or your, you know, gardening buddies, uh, uh, uh because, the state is going to place over those folks a uh, a judgment rule that they will be accountable for. And so people need to understand that. We have the Ten Commandments of a good board inside right. uh, inside the business of church. Uh, another another one is intellectual property. Who owns the sermon? Um, uh, so on Sunday, you know, I'm the pastor of a church. Uh, I, I'm in my office all week. I, I prep the word. Uh, I print it up on the computer at work and I go out and I preach the the sermon on Sunday. And then we reduce it to a CD. I go to a conference and I sell the CD. Right. Who, who gets the money? Who owns that sermon? Mm. And uh, a good lawyer response is it depends. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there are rules that kind of govern that, but but the big thing about being a tax exempt entity is there's a prohibition against what's called private inurement. Right. You use nonprofit assets for your own personal benefit uh, because it's a public trust, and so uh, there are rules, uh, you know, on on how to deal with all that. We we address that in the book. So yeah, it, it's just touch points of things I think that will help people along the way. That's really good. I actually came, I gave my life to the Lord in 2003 after running 33 years as an atheist. And um, I guess everybody's an atheist before they get to know the Lord. But <laughs> um, I came from the business world and got called into ministry. And so I, I understand the business side of it. And I just recently in 2020, I, I went through two, uh, two years of college before I joined the military. I just couldn't do college when I was 18 years old, 19. It just didn't make sense to me. And 2020, I started back to seminary or started to seminary, I should say. And, you know, at 53 years old, it, well, 51 at the time, I'm 53 now, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, school makes sense to me. But what right. breaks my heart is I'm sitting there and I'm the between me and the professor, you know, we're the two oldest people in the class. And, uh, no, only ones with life experience. To exactly. What's being taught. Right. right. Exactly. Like everything makes sense to me because I have wisdom that goes behind right. everything they're talking about. And I've got biblical understanding of all the, you know, whether it's church history or the doctrines or all, I understand all of that. I'm watching these 18, 20 year old kids, you know, number one lost his Easter eggs. You know, they, they're just, all they're, all they're doing is just making, um, they're, they're, they're memorizing stuff for a test or an essay. That's it. They're not, you know, none of this is making sense. 
what what I've noticed more than anything, especially after talking to you, not one business acumen is coming from any of this teaching, like how to, you know, how to, you know, ask for tithes or how to budget, you know, church money or how to, you know, what's the percentage of money goes to this. And, you know, cause like, a you know, a financial budget that you would have for your business is done based on, you know, your expenses and your media and your marketing, and you know exactly what you're spending in your, your um, uh, employment and all of that kind of stuff. And that's not taught in, in churches whatsoever. And I see a, a good example of that. I was, I was dealing with the church out of West and, uh, um, uh, whenever I'm called to, to, you know, do, do a review with the church and I usually meet with their leadership team and we sit around the table and kind of, you know, get to know who everybody. Mm -hmm. So we're going around the table and we get to the, um, the treasurer and the, and the, and the, you know, uh, you know, the, the treasurer of the organization. And she's, she's a middle-aged lady and very nice looking and, um, and she said, well, first of all, I just want to thank Pastor Jones for giving me this job since I got out of the penitentiary. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm looking around the room, you know, expecting everybody to like to but, talk. It's like this is an inside joke, right? Nobody's laughing, you know. And so after the meeting, I got with Pastor Jones. I said, brother. Tell me about Sister Smith over here, you know. He says, oh, yeah. She, he said she and her husband, you know, they were convicted of racketeering and money laundering. But oh, she didn't, oh God. But, but she didn't do it. She was an unwitting pawn. And it was I was hoping for murder. I said, brother, I said, you have a wonderful pastor's hat on. We right. believe in, you know, new beginnings. We believe in restoration. But as a president and CEO of the church, you cannot have a con convicted felon handling your money. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so life experience is what I'm saying, Jody, is that yeah. there are some things that might seem like common sense. Right. It's like, no, you can't right. do that. You know, so right. I, yeah. Yeah. Luckily, uh, one, of, one of my elders is the, the treasurer and he is, um, uh, as a vice president of a bank. So he's got a really good reputation in the town. So I don't have to, uh, don't have to worry too much, but uh, yeah, it, it breaks my heart to watch these kids going through, you know, theological training, which is great. It's, it's exactly what they need. And, you know, they need to understand what they're teaching and what they're preaching, but you know, if they can't, if all they're going to do is stand on a street corner, that's all. And I'm and preach the gospel and not just stand on a street corner um and preach the gospel then yeah that's that's what they need to know but if they're going to go out into ministry if they're going to go out into churches like i don't understand why seminaries wouldn't teach some business side of that that gives them the ability or at least some template to be able to go out into a church and say okay here's what a church looks like here's how we do it here's how we put in a 501c here's you know all of those kind of things because i think that's where I, in a lot of my pastor buddies, you know, they struggle with the business side of it. And that's where I, you know, I came from. It was, it's, it's relatively easy, you know, for, for me, we took over a, in 2015, a church with $1.6 million in debt. That didn't scare me because I knew, you know, one that I'd been called 
And two, I knew that God would take care of it. And he did, you know, took care of, of, of it. And man, you know, God is good, but that, you know, the church probably would have imploded if somebody, you know, a, a pastor who wasn't business-minded right. um, hadn't stepped into that, you know, and that, that was all God. I'm not saying that it's anything to do that's with me. Gift, though. That's wonderful. But that's, that's why we need more of that. And if anybody's listening to this, this uh, session and, you know, wants to uh, help us get the course going, just let me know. We're, we're having discussions, but, you know, um, it's something I'm, it's really on my heart. We need to have a course in the seminaries, but I have an economist lined up. I have a, uh, a psychologist lined up wow. and, and, you know, uh, a, uh, a CPA. And then also I will do the legal part. So I've got wow. you know, the four authors that could contribute to create a meaningful business of church one-on-one. Right. Know? not a fire hose in anybody's mouth, but enough to really help somebody and give them a resource to put on their shelf for the rest of their lives. So, yeah. So, so I'm, I may email you later on. Cause I, I have an idea. There's something that we're doing at man of God's way that might just fall right in line with this. So um, I'll touch base with you later on that, that right. might, might kick, might kickstart this thing. So, well, Steve, um, as we, as I know, it's getting late in your end of the world, and um, this has been just uh, an awesome podcast. I thank you so much for your wisdom, your insight, um, your your passion, and calling to, you know, just go in to help churches legally. Like I think that's where we're striving and are struggling more than anything, and uh, we could do a lot better job with that. And I thank you for that. I, that what a what a calling, what a passion. Um, what a ministry. And um, I love, I love your story. I love that you've been married for 50 years. What a, you know, great example of, you know, God just working in your lives. Um, that all your kids are saved that, you know, you broke that generational curse and that you move forward with God in everybody's lives. Like you, you live the life that, uh, that Jesus wants us to live. And I appreciate that. Uh, any last words for our audience before we let you go here? No, I just want to circle back, you know, that, that uh, you know, when I ended with uh, Son of Sam, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, David, is there anything that we haven't covered, you know, and, uh, and he opened up his tattered Bible to Revelation 22, and he said, yeah, he said, you know, the Bible says the spirit and the bride say come. Uh, you know, all who, whosoever will come, come to the waters and drink freely. And he said, you know, I, I just want people to know that, you know, uh, sometimes we have a view that God's sitting there with a stern face and his arms crossed and kind of watching over us. He said, but you no, know, God's arms are open to us. And he's just saying, come, come. And I think as men, you know, we get so distracted. Uh, and we fill our, our world and our lives and our thoughts with so many different things. And the Lord's sitting there with his arms out say, just come, just come to me. Oh, you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You know, you know, take my point and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. And in John 13, where he says, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We've got to come back to that reality. He's the source. If we don't get that right, we really don't really have anything to offer. Mm. 
we're going to run out of gas in our own strength. And so I think coming back to our own personal walk with God, our own prayer time, our own scripture, a lot of men just don't like the Bible because they don't understand it. Don't worry about it. Do you understand everything about the steak you just had tonight? <laughs> you, know, you eat it and it does what it's going to do. You know, that's the way the Bible is. Just take it in and let the Holy Spirit. Do. It's a living, active, uh, sharper than any two-edged two sword. It's a living thing that just a sentence, uh, you know, a half a sentence, right. a minute in the Bible could change your life. And so read the Bible for ourselves, not, not books about the Bible. Read the Bible. Pray, you know, uh, and 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 stay in fellowship. Uh, uh, don't let the Lord, uh, the devil, isolate you. But stay in fellowship with other men and with the church. But nothing will replace your own walk with God uh, and and uh, your own feeding of yourself. And so that's really what's on my heart. Yeah. All right, well, brother, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Um, I pray for you and your family. I pray for you and your ministry. Um, uh, keep, keep doing what you're doing and help keep churches safe as much as possible. We appreciate that. Thank you. And people, you know, can get our books, you know, on, on the website and if there's any way we can help all my contact information is on there. And, uh, unlike most lawyers, if you email me, I won't bill you. <laughs> <laughs> and it is stephenlentz.com uh, that's the s-t-e-p-h-e-n-l-e-n-z l-e-n-t-z l-e-n-t-z lens and we shared uh we shared both books in the stream we shared the website in the stream so you guys can grab that awesome okay appreciate it all right. Well, brother, have a great night. Thank you guys for what you're doing. This is wonderful. And thank and uh, just can't thank you enough for, for trying to encourage us guys and keeping us on the road. Thank uh, you. Keep it up. Keep it up. We need each other. Well, God bless you, Stephen. Take it bless easy, brother. All okay. right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.